It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day, listeners, and welcome once again to Hard Hats and High Viz, uh, episode 13. We did the election, and now we're coming out the other side talking about all things political, social, and cultural. Uh, in Australia, and uh, joining me uh, today, as usual, is Hong Kong Jack. How are you, Jack? G'day, g'day Jack. And we just want to remind our listeners uh, to this podcast that if you like what you're hearing, give us a give us a solid review on your podcast app, or indeed uh, drop us a line and uh, uh, with any questions you might have, we would love to read out your listeners' letters. Um, uh, and you can drop us a line at the conditional release program at gmail.com or you can hit me up. My DMs are open on Twitter at, at Jack the Insider. Um, well, Jack uh, Elbow did what he said he was going to do and he's gone off and visited Vl- Vladimir Zelensky in Kiev. Mm. Is that a photo opportunity or a genuine show of support? Or probably a bit of both. Uh, he's unveiled. That is uh, Anthony Albanese. He's unveiled an extra hundred million dollars in Australian support for the country. Um, for, that is military aid, military and uh, and and medical and uh, <coughs> other forms of economic assistance. And this comes at the same time where Russia has now secured um, uh, Russia has now secured basically all of Donbass all the way to the coast, and uh, and they now have that land link. Uh, between Russia and Crimea. And the war's not going well for Ukraine, is it? No, it's not. And, and this is what we've been talking about for some weeks That um, on our other program, uh, uh, is that uh, now that Russia are fighting in conditions favourable to them, they will go better. Yes, well, we talked about you know how they like that static war. Uh, and uh, we would also note that... Uh, uh, parts of Kiev and uh, elsewhere in the country have been hit by Russian missiles and, and uh, other projectiles. Um, um, uh, Prime Minister Albanese has said that Australia would provide an additional 20 Bushmaster protected vehicles and a further 145 armoured personnel carriers to support the country's war effort. I didn't think we had that many, Jack. Uh, I don't know where we're going to get them from. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has been a, a major focus of... Uh, of Australia's uh, reasonably large uh, munitions business, um, that uh, that it is all now around APCs, bush rangers, etc., and that's that sort of fast movement uh, in the field stuff that really, I guess, Ukraine really does need as this war goes well, less, in. Well, goes less on. and less now that it's become a, a more static war. I'm not sure how much use these things are. They're very useful while. You know, the Russians are, uh, are careering across the countryside trying to take the whole thing. But they're less important, I would have thought, when you're getting back to um, digging in while they lob um, uh, missiles and artillery at you. Yes, look, it, it, it seems now that Russia will basically just now regroup and that, and we won't know what that... We don't know what that next step's going to be, that, that they now have basically secured that land link now, 
between the Black Sea uh, and, and Crimea all the way through to Russian territory. Uh, so uh, unless... Uh, that you would think, well, many people thought that was their objective, um, but uh, it might be much broader than that. Yeah, well, just generally speaking about Albo on his trip overseas, it, it just seemed to me that perhaps he was getting caught up in the euphoria of going to a NATO meeting and um, and getting to the, the, the G7, etc., um, at least on the outside. Um, well, I think the I think the significant thing there was that that NATO for the very first time made a statement about China, and um, uh, and and while NATO has um, no uh, no ballywick uh, in the South Pacific, of course, uh, we are seeing more and more um, uh, saber rattling from both sides uh, between Australia and China, particularly from one more than the other. And so I think it was important for Albanese to be there uh, for that for that extent. I mean, obviously, hand in hand with the United States. Yeah, I just didn't think his comments on, on China or the way he put them um, was as wise as it could have been. Yeah, well, what, what was he saying there? I didn't notice anything that was particularly um, belligerent. Uh, well, it was as belligerent as, any, as anything that um, the, the Australian government said over the last two years, and it quickly got a response from the Chinese. And I just don't think that was our was our role. This was really a NATO argument with China, and not a not an Australian argument with China. I just I just thought just thought he looked to me like he was caught up in the euphoria of agreeing with everybody around him. What more belligerent than prepare for war? That was Peter yeah. Dutton's remark on Anzac Day. Mm, every bit as. No, right. Uh, in an interview yesterday on The Insiders, uh, Senator-elect Pocock uh, had uh, was was grilled. I suppose grilled might not be the uh, the the, uh, the right term, but was questioned about uh, uh, the a, a federal ICAC having the powers to sack members of Parliament. Jack, surely that can't happen. Grilled was certainly not the right um, uh, a verb to use on this occasion. Uh, it was the softest interview I've seen uh, for quite some time. Uh, what's the Paul Keating line like be- being beaten with a wet lettuce? Yeah, um, right. Um, uh, even so, well, it was probably fair enough because he looked like he was a bit nervous for, on his first game day. You know, uh, David yeah, Pocock, yeah. he, he didn't look, you know. You've got to ease him in. You've got to ease the new ones in. Um, this arose because Kylie Tink, I think her name is, the new member for North Sydney, suggested mm-hmm. that uh, a new ICAC should have the power to um, sack MPs who we find have breached some code of conduct, etc. Um, well, well this, no one has the power to sack MPs. <laughs> if, no, a Prime Minister no. doesn't have the power to uh, sack MPs. A Governor-General. The, the the Queen herself doesn't have the power to sack MPs, Jack. No, no, I think we can um, put in uh, in Kylie's first homework package the Constitution of Australia. Uh, have a have a quick read of that, you know, uh, <laughs> and see what you can find. Uh, do you think Do you think all these new members should be 
sat down, given a copy of the Constitution and asked some, uh, asked some questions afterwards, Jack? Well, if they want to avoid making fools of themselves, this is a good plan. They're free to be as ignorant as they want, you know. But, but once you get elected, you can be as ignorant as you wish to be. Yes, that's right. We have several examples in the past. Who, yes, indeed. Uh, and we have several examples of prime ministers who would have loved to sack it, sack some of their own MPs, but just just can't do it. They no. they can wander off to the crossbench, but that's about as far as you can go. Yeah. Um, you know, Craig Kelly comes to mind uh, for Scott Morrison, and uh, Julia Gillard, of course, had um, had uh, the former um, uh, former union boss uh, who was. Uh, uh, in, in, well, ultimately convicted of fraud. Um, um, the Craig chap Thompson, the, the, the chap from the from the Central Coast. Yes, yes, yes he's had, yes. currently experiencing a few additional problems. But she would have loved to have seen him gone by election called. And even if you lose, it's probably better than him being there. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that's just it. You don't have the power to sack MPs. And an ICAC, as it stands in New South Wales, that's the. Um, uh, that's the example uh, that uh, is often used uh, when uh, when we're talking about a federal ICAC. It doesn't have to have those powers, of course. If, but the if, ICAC, if we're if we're looking for a really useless, terrible ICAC, that would be the one we would use. Yes. Well, the one that uh, it's the one that's uh, sort of you know adopted as the bet noir because it's oh you know we have all these perp walks and all these sorts of things um, going on, but it, it, it's true to say that the ICAC or the IBAC in in uh, in, in Victoria uh, or the uh, uh, Crime and Corruption Commission in WA or the other counterparts across the country don't have the powers to sack MPs. They don't uh, additionally have the have the powers, for example, to make a minister resign to to, to resign. So. Um, uh, those 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 things are all handled within the political sphere, depending on which, you know, is, which is where uncovered. they should be. Hmm. They order, you know, they, they lose their job because they lose parliamentary support, or they lose the voters' support. That's how it's supposed to work. Uh, yes, um, look, when we look at some of the New South Wales ICAC's um, uh, investigations, they made a determination of corruption against a former. Uh, minister in the uh, state Labor Party, and that fellow is still to be charged, Jack. In fact, it would seem that he's not going to be charged with corruption in high office. In part, that's because the definition of corruption in, in, in the New South Wales ICAC is fundamentally flawed. So Joe Tripodi, that's the fellow I was referring to, um, there, there were other findings that were against other uh, ministers and members of uh, the Labor Party in New South Wales in the state parliament um, <coughs> that did uh, that that did basically the, the process goes uh, and a finding can be made by an ICAC. It is then referred to a prosecutor to the to the the DPP in this state, and the DPP determines where the charges are made. Hmm. Which determines whether it's possible to get, to get a conviction on a crime rather than some made-up version of corruption. Well, Joe, Joe Tripodi, just uh, from that journalist's point of view, Joe Tripodi can be described in, in, uh, in reports as corrupt, but he hasn't hmm. actually been charged with any offence relating to corruption in public office. 
Yes, isn't that isn't that an awful situation that the ICACs left the the, the state in? I'm not. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think you are either. You know, sort of endorsing Mr. Tripodi, but but no, yeah, I've, it's, I've, it's, I've, I've, I've had the had the dubious pleasure of sitting across the lunch table from Joe. Yes, um, and and um, uh, I I have no idea whether he's actually corrupt, um, but. Um, if you were casting uh, uh, casting someone as a, as a as a sort of a fairly dodgy politician in a in a TV show, he'd be right up on the top of the you list. You reckon the he'd, he'd, he'd get the casting? He looks call. like one. He looks get like the, one. But, that, but of course, call. that doesn't mean much at all. Um, well, we uh, can say he's corrupt, Jack, but we don't. But that's without any criminal charges being made. Right. Um, and, and but it didn't force him to resign either. Um, ultimately, he went. Um, uh, well, it, 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 I think probably did force him to resign at some level, um, but it didn't um, um, uh, legally oblige him to resign. And that's, what, I think, what, what, what ended Joe's a bit confused about. <laughs> what ended Joe's career was the same thing that got it going. It was the numbers. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the way it probably should work. Yeah, so I think really dumb idea from the Teals, uh, from the terms in this case, Collier Tink and uh, and, and Senator Elect Pocock uh, gave it a little bit of oxygen before sort of walking us before stepping aside, didn't he? Before uh, he did, he did. He sort of he looked a bit nervous and said he didn't. He didn't he's not a lawyer, but he didn't think he should. That, that could be. You know, there could be some constitutional problems with that. It was all a bit garbled, but you know, you know. But he, look, he did a pretty fair job, and and to, and this is his first outing on the national stage as a politician. So um, he's he's allowed to be nervous, and indeed, Kylie Tink's allowed to get a few things wrong. This is the joy of a new parliament when we get a whole mm. bunch of new parliamentarians coming in there. A few of them are going to sort of, you know, jump in and say things there that later on they perhaps will think, gee, why on earth did I say that? Yeah, you'd like to think so. And, of course, they, uh, they're they still at loggerheads with the government over weather. In fact, the Prime Minister, because it's at the Prime Minister's discretion uh, in terms of staffing allocation. Uh, and the Teal Independents, as with all the crossbenchers, want their four and four, four electorate officers, four electoral officers and four personnel or media or, sorry, I should say, advisory staff as well. Uh, and Elbo said four and one. And I wrote about that last week. And if the comments uh, below the comment or anything, uh, below the column or anything to go by, there is a uh, resounding support for Anthony Albanese on this. Yeah, they, they want twice as many as the uh, as the party party affiliated MPs, and I think that's just ridiculous. Yeah, we talked about it last week. I think Scott Morrison was saying, "Hey, I'd just like to be your friends, everybody," uh, and gave him a staffing allocation that really well, we, is we, way we certainly, beyond. We certainly wouldn't call that a bribe, but gee, if it looks like a duck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I said it wasn't a bribe that sounded too ugly. It's more of an inducement, which is, of course, the same thing. Uh, yeah, so they've got some problems there. Um, uh, uh, there'll be a negotiated solution there. But I, would, I wouldn't call it a bribe or an inducement. I would call it a sweetener. Yeah, well, it was, um, uh, who was it, Lambie uh, Pocock? Uh, signed this uh, letter uh, and uh, Pauline and uh, Malcolm Roberts, very angry letter back to Albanese. Well, it was an open letter uh, and uh, and uh, uh, Anthony Albanese as you, was... As you suggested, perhaps jobs had been promised. Yes. 
I think that might be the case. <laughs> a few people might need to be sent home. Uh, well, there you go. So the Indies are going to struggle. It's not just the Teals. It's all the crossbenchers, and they really do have a very, very big opinion of themselves that I don't think is shared, uh, <laughs> shared with them around around the country. Um we had the release of the Senate. Uh, sorry, we had the release of the census data uh, last week, Jack. And now, uh, now it's coming that we're sort of looking at uh, the census and what it's revealing about our politics. And uh, in the Australia Today, um, uh, it's reported that the census uh, has revealed that the Libs coughed up a lot of wealthy seats. Um, uh, the Liberal Party no longer holds any of the 15 electorates with the highest median personal income, self-reported through the census. Uh, or, and there when, is a little bit of a distinction between high income and wealth, I might add. Yeah, it is self-reporting too, Jack. So, mm. you know, do we always just add another 20 grand on because we, mm. think, we think we're worth it? Um, mm. <laughs> anyway, uh, when electorates are ranked by household income, the Liberals have slipped from holding 14 of the top 20 seats prior to uh, the last federal election to now just five. And we know uh, we know where a lot of those have gone to the Teals, uh, Kuyong, uh, Goldstein, um, North Sydney, we just mentioned before, um, Wentworth, of course, very wealthy area there, Jack, and um, and then well, uh, Wentworth is both wealthy and high income, yes, but yeah, yeah, there is yeah. a distinction. You got some, you got some, got some great stonking buildings on the harbour there, hmm. um, uh, yeah. So a lot of asset wealth as well, um, but this taps into what we what we've been talking about before the election and after it that uh, that we are seeing. Um, wealthier people, the professional class, we might call them, uh, tending to veer progressive uh, in the terms of The high-income people, not necessarily the wealthy people, but the high-income people uh, around the world uh, are tending to embrace progressive politics more and more. It certainly seems to be the case on the census. Yeah. I mean, what does the Liberal Party do about that, Jack? Well, it's not much they can do, nor should they worry too much about it. They should just let that... F- land where it falls. Are you just going to cough up Wentworth? Are they going to cough up? Um, no, well, but, they'll, but they'll just go back to... What well, they've coughed up Warringah is- now, haven't they? I mean, they basically said they just put the white flag up there, haven't they? What the... Well, they're not going to win Warringah back anytime soon, and that happens. That, well, my that, theory is if you don't win it back straight away, it's gone for as long as that independent member is in the parliament. Yeah, more or less, yeah. It's happened before. It's happened to Labor in various parts of the world, various parts of the the, the state, the country as well. Um, You know, um, and once Ted Mack got hold of North Sydney, he was going to be able to hold that forever. Yeah, that's right. So these these things happen. What the Liberals have got to do is just to get their house in order and to look at, gee, why did we lose the election? Um, uh, and And he's still sitting on the backbench. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think he's. I don't think he's uh, <laughs> taking up an ass groove there, Jack. He's sort of moving around the country. I think he's in Bali at the moment, having mm-hmm. a holiday. Yeah, doing but, yeah, a. Um, <laughs> the the, wor- the worst. The worst thing the Liberals can do is to do what Labor did in 1996, which is to say, uh, we only lost because um, uh, the people got it wrong. Um, and, and, and as long as they don't do that, whatever else they do is is probably moving in the right direction. 
they've certainly got to have a crack at Kuyong and Goldstein. Of course they, of course they you know, do. They've they really got to have a crack. They can't just cough them up because but, when, when, when you look at the, the, the – there's actually no pendulum uh, in creation at the moment just because the election's just only been held. But when you look at it, the, the sort of marginals they can expect to pick up and in the next election, it's Lingiari, Chisholm, uh, uh, no, not Chisholm. God, that's that's no longer marginal. Sorry, um, uh, the seat on the uh, the south coast uh, of New South Wales, uh, where they uh, where they uh, they ran a, uh, a sort of celebrity candidate, um, you know, and Lingyari. I mean, you know, that, that, that's that's basically what they've got. So if they cough these things up next time around and lose next time around it just means that it's, it's a, that they need bigger swings to to even uh, uh, to even accommodate the idea of uh, forming a government yeah well I, I don't think they should be even thinking about um, which seats they're targeting at what they need to do is to get their house in order and run a good opposition and the rest of it will take care of itself from there the results take care of themselves get the process right first. Uh, this uh, census analysis said the, the Liberals lost all six of their seats with the highest proportions of renters in Brisbane, Reed, Wentworth, North Sydney, Higgins and Bennelong. Uh, Chisholm, Bennelong and Reed as well uh, as ranking highly for mortgage stress and rentals also have the high, has the highest proportion of Chinese-born voters nationwide. We have talked about this uh, a little bit and the current leader of course was the one who said, prepare for war uh, on yeah, well, Anzac think, Day I, during the campaign. I think Elbow might have just even that, even that uh, Chinese problem up this week. Well, what would, what would, what would Australia... And I had a chat with, uh, uh, well, a Chinese-born Australian citizen, uh, a friend of mine, uh, last week, and I said, well, what did you think when you heard that remark? And he says, well... Well, just, you know, it makes you feel very vulnerable in your own country. You know, the idea that we're preparing for war historically would mean possibly the Chinese would be very much second-class citizens, internment camps, all this sort of stuff. Just, just, just don't just let that go. Does he just go, oh, well, you know, it's just something I said in the heat of the moment, looking for a car key election, we're looking for any desperate measure we could find. Uh, and it's not just a, a one-off remark from Dutton either. Like I said, I think Elbow's evened that up pretty much this week. In any event, I don't think there's any any need for the Liberal Party or Dutton to go back and say, oh, I said that and I shouldn't have. You don't do that. You go forward. Always go forward. So basically the Chinese community just, uh, hmm, they're, they're going to be looking at this guy with an eyebrow raise for a very long time. It's as simple as that. You know, I mean, that's where Dutton's... That, when people talk about the election and well, Dutton's, how... Dutton's probably not going to go from where he is now to being Prime Minister, so that doesn't really matter. What he's got to do is get their house in order uh, and be a decent opposition. That's what works. Get the process right. Don't worry about which seat you, you're, you're targeting or that seat you're targeting. Get the process right and be a decent opposition. And, and, and that's the way back. So he did say in uh, basically an interview with Simon Benson in The Australian this published this morning, uh, the 4th of July. Happy Independence Day, by the way, Jack. Um, uh, that uh, 
that there would be no prolonged post-mortem? Is he at risk of ignoring what went wrong? No, I think I, I don't think that it takes very long to work out what went wrong. They'd been there too long. They were a tired government, and Scott Morrison was proving not to be um, a good leader or a good prime minister towards the end of his career. So mm. I think that you can just put that in the book and say, okay, how do we go about being a good opposition now? Yeah, well, so you don't think there's any repair work needed to be done, or if it's done, well, it should be, should be done quietly. To be done, but but you don't do it. You don't do it by going back and saying, "Oh, gee, what if I said this, or what if I said that?" What you do is get it right now. So build together, you know, the best opposition team you can. Build the best party structures you can. That means fixing up problems like um, the Liberal Party's mess in Victoria. Go and do that hard work, the, the, the work looking forward, and don't worry too much about what's happened in the past. Parties lose elections all the time. What about, uh, well, there's a, there's a push on for Liberal women uh, for quotas, Jack. Uh, it worked for Labor. You can't say that it didn't. Uh, it's always been... Uh, uh, <clears throat> negated by uh, uh, Liberal Party men uh, in Parliament, uh, that they always thought that uh, quotas were not, you weren't getting the right people, that uh, you should uh, 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 pre-select on merit rather than gender. Well, that's um, something they're going to have to fight out amongst themselves. That's, you know, that's up to them. What do you think about uh, quotas, Jack, good or bad? Um, I've never really been uh, a strong supporter of them. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, um, back in about, uh, it must have been about the early 90s, so perhaps 91 or 92, there was a pre-selection battle for what was a then very safe seat of Melbourne. Um, and, um, and Lindsay Tanner was a, a lead candidate for the left endorsement and Julia Gillard was as well. Um, and uh, I, remember, I remember I supported... Julia Gillard in that battle uh, because I thought then that Lindsay could probably win just about any seat he stood in um, that wasn't completely liberal, um, whereas even in 91, 92, I thought it was going to be much harder for a woman to win a marginal seat and I thought we should should give someone who is a rising talent like Julia a chance to win Melbourne. Um, and Lindsay Tanner didn't talk you for 20 years. About 20. <laughs> um, uh, uh, we had had some kind of arrangement, uh, a political deal. So I, I, I walked away from the deal without telling him. So he had every, every reason to be cross with me. Um, but that's how much things have changed in, in just 22, that's in 30 years, how much t- things have changed in 30 years. Conventional yeah. wisdom then was it was very hard for women to win marginal seats. It's, it's now not we know the that's now. Not, now we know that's not true. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I wonder whether it's the quota so much or, or our realisation that that's the case, that women do make excellent candidates, whether that realisation has led to the, the increase in numbers rather than just the quotas. Yeah, very likely. And certainly the Liberal Party's got huge problems there. I mean, when we look across their backbench, and desultory numbers, barely over 50, um, and it's it's, it's heavily male-dominated. And they need to fix it, don't they? Whether it's quotas or just getting around and pre-selecting candidates, uh, women candidates, talented women candidates, they need to address this because it's a bad look. Hmm. 
All right. So, no long it's, analysis. It's some of their better performers have been their women, um, uh, women MPs as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So, so no prolonged postmortem uh, for the Liberal Party or nothing public. I think that's what we're really getting at. You do not want to uh, wash the dirty laundry in, uh, in public, do you? Um, There's zero upside in doing that. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and it sort of irritates people, particularly people on the left who look at Peter Dutton as, as if to say, well, maybe maybe they're just not going to learn anything. There is a real prospect that that will happen, by the way, that they, that they will have just sort of plot, plot, plotted along and think, well, we'll just go our hardest uh, on the, from the opposition benches and, uh, and hope like hell that we can win enough seats next time around. And that, to me, is wrong because they, they clearly have got problems. Um, and some of those, I would imagine, uh, sit very squarely at Peter Dutton's feet. All right. Now, Jack, uh, you may have seen this news. Uh, we might not call it an outbreak, but there have been two diagnoses, two diagnosed cases of diphtheria in Australia, and this is the first time in, I believe, 40-odd years that this has occurred because diphtheria is um, uh, is is an illness it can be very very dangerous for, for children in particular, but it's it's been vaccinated for a very very long period of time. Uh, there's a two year old uh, currently in ICU, uh, and uh, and a, a six year old uh, who has, it's been explained in close proximity to the family, so maybe not the same nuclear family, but uh, close relatives perhaps. Uh, also being treated for diphtheria, um, both kids unvaxxed and both from the Northern Rivers, Jack. Well, that's unsurprising. <laughs> it was just unsurprising, wasn't it? When I first read about the diphtheria, uh, a case for the little boy, and we really wish him well and hope, hope he beats this. It's going to be tough. He's, uh, uh, he's uh, on assisted uh, uh, breathing uh, in intensive care, being pumped with uh, cocktail of chemicals to try and keep him good. Um, and, I, and I read that and I thought, diphtheria, my God, you know, I mean, uh, it's the diptet. It's the diptet vaccination that's been around for a very long time. And, of course, uh, that surprised me. But what didn't surprise me is that the children were unvaccinated and uh, and came from the Northern Rivers part of, uh, of New South Wales, Jack. Um, it's a bit. It's a bit like when you read a headline and said, you know, why did someone have a a, a cracker, a, a cracker up their clacker? Um, you know, that's going to be from the Northern Territory, that's um, and that's unfortunately, Darwin. that's Darwin. Uh, unfortunately, um, when you um, have children who are um, suffering from um, uh, preventable preventable, yeah. preventable childhood diseases, you just think, well, that's Byron Bay. It is indeed. Now, Byron Shire is a very small shire uh, for a rural shire in, in New South Wales. Um, it's uh, it's as big as some of the uh, metropolitan shires in Sydney. Uh, but Byron Shire has the lowest uh, rate of childhood vaccination in the state. Um, the highest rate of childhood vaccination is in the outer west region of New South Wales. That is literally back of Burke. Where um, you would where where where, where there's large uh, indigenous remote communities and so forth, you would think there are enormous logistical problems in getting kids vaccinated. But their vaccination rate is ninety four percent in the outer west region, 
and in Byron it's sixty nine percent. So there's a twenty five percent differential. I mean, how how do we fix this? I mean, how, is there a solution to this? I would think just a simple public information campaign is not going to do it. No, uh, this is this is not a peculiarly Australian problem. Um, no, it's uh, not. You, the, you can uh, in, in California they've tracked the low rates of um, of childhood vaccination and the ensuing illnesses, um, uh, and uh, they geographically track them, and they cluster around Whole Food stores. Um, uh, it's the it, it's the people yeah. who insist upon eating organic food and all that sort of stuff who, who, who are the same people who do this. Yeah, and and look, we've we've covered this in the conditional release program, and, and and you know, so it's sort of Whole Foods or organic foods are just one sort of trigger, you would think, but it's also this sort of what might broadly call alternate health, um, and and at the basis of that alternate health is this suspicion about medical science. Suspicion about vaccination, suspicion about big pharma, and not that's not to say that big pharma is perfect in any way. But Jack, you've had your you've had uh, your travails with illnesses, have I? Have you ever felt the need to rub yourself with uh, with crystals or eat a banana with a great big black stain on it? No, I've. I've had- I actually was actually pretty keen on staying alive, to be quite honest. <laughs> as I know, as I know you were, and um, uh, you know, I, I'm not so against big pharma because I have to take medication every day to keep to keep everything well, ticking. You're, you're, yeah, look, you're 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 providing shareholder value, Jack. That's yeah, that's what and, you're doing. Uh, and 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 my attitude to. Uh, uh, surgical procedures is much the same. If, you, if the yeah. alternative is I'm going to going to cash in my chips, you get operating there, don't? Uh, yeah, yeah, man, that's, you know? that, that, it's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's a simple fact, and I'm sure it's the same as you knowing that, knowing what you went through, um, and none of it was perfect. It's certainly the same with me. Um, but had I not had surgery, had I gone for a for a uh, uh, you know for a gentle massage and a rubbing of crystals against, across my body, I'll be dead now. This yeah, well, is why well, well, neither of us would be making this podcast. <laughs> this podcast would be for a very we've, long, silent. Uh, we've, we've both had some awful surgery and taken some dreadful medications yeah. uh, just to be here. So um, uh, we're the wrong people to be trying to convince the uh, my body, my choice, uh, my. Um, my um, child's uh, choice. That's the problem, yeah, my, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's the problem. I've, I've isn't got it? a bit of respect for my body, my choice, um, but um, my child's body, my choice. No, you I, do. You, you do as you, you fucking you, tell. You, yeah. you, you lose me right there. Um, yeah. uh, but we we need this not just to protect your child, but to protect the other children in the community. You'd think there'd be some learning going on. I haven't checked the Telegram pages from various anti-vax groups around the country just yet, but I can predict that they will say that this event was confected um, by the government or Big Pharma in order to sort of uh, persuade people to go and uh, vaccinate their children. Look, it is a middle-class problem. Uh, and, uh, And in the States, they do say... Uh, those uh, parents with unvaccinated children are more likely to drive a Prius than a pickup. Um, well, that that you could take to the bank. That would absolutely be true. Oh, it is. It is true. And, we, and we've, we've, we've seen this, this. is a this is a middle class affectation. Uh, this yeah. is the sort of thing that only yeah. the well-to-do worry about. Indigenous you know, mothers I, I, line I, I, up I, I, to I, get their children to get their children vaccinated. 
I've said this said this before um, uh, about organic food that the only two kinds of people who insist upon eating organic food or who do eat organic are the very rich who can afford to and the poor people who can't afford to put fertiliser on their crops and grow enough to eat. It's a big problem and and COVID has made it worse, made this more divisive but, but, you know, we're seeing outbreaks of measles, Jack. Now, we we knocked measles over in this country in 2012 and now it's back Uh, and and we're seeing this. It's It's an awful transmissible disease. You know, you sit at one end of the MCG... Uh, and, uh, and 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 someone with uh, someone with measles is is at the upper end, and if you're not protected against it by vaccine and herd immunity, you can get it. You know that's how transmissible it is. One of the rare diseases to be uh, aerosol for as long as it is, uh, and we're seeing we're seeing basically measles come back. We saw through anti-vaxxer movements in New Zealand outbreaks of measles in Samoa. Um, and they're still dealing with it. And it went all the way to Western Australia where there was an outbreak of measles, childhood measles in Perth. We had this covered and now we don't. I don't know what it's, you do with family's parents. It's do-gooding do middle-class people who cause those problems. We had malaria nearly beaten until, they, until the do-gooding middle-class said, no, you can't use DDT. Well, it, 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 yeah, look... They are the ones who are susceptible to the misinformation. There's no doubt about that. But at the very end of this, at the very end of those who who, who spread this misinformation or who, who create it in the first place, you've got a whole bunch of people sitting back selling supplements, making money from this idea that medical science is wrong and that they are right. I actually don't think they're the cause of it. I just think they're just grifters who are jumping on the bandwagon to take advantage of it. At the core of it is the well-meaning fool, always. I I think that's the spread of it. But you have to understand that this is highly manipulated, Jack. Some of these... these, uh, uh, people who are selling uh, and and you know at the what we call the the dirty dozen of anti-vaxxers and includes uh, a Kennedy, uh, son of Bobby, um, uh, who doesn't sell supplements but still manages to profit from it. The rest of them all do, and they and it's multi-million dollar stuff. Um, they are grifters. There's no doubt about that. But they are really yeah. But know, the, the core of it is it is the Bobby Kennedys, the well-meaning fools. Yeah. Well, it was determined. Every, everybody else is just jumping on the bandwagon trying to make a quid where they can. But the, that's the core of it. The, the, uh, the, uh, the supplement sellers, of which Kennedy profited from as well, uh, they were determined, uh, uh, with Kennedy, they were determined to, uh, provide, uh, to, to provide the world with about three quarters of the misinformation about vaccinations that spread around the world. Uh, and it's become oh, well, a massive that, problem but, in the environment. Yeah, but they're not the core. That's not where it starts. That's the core. Starts, That's the core. Start, no, it starts with the well-meaning fool who gets it going. No, it ends with the well-meaning fool who's, who, who's decided that, uh, that, that, that they're on a new diet and they just want to start yoga classes and, and their yoga instructor <laughs> is wearing, wearing a swastika and talking about how Vladimir Putin's uh, terrific black. Anyway, uh, we're, not, we're, not, we're not going to agree on where it starts. Not going, well, a, we, 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 and I just think the problem is Tell me about the floods in Sydney because oh, I Jesus was pretty Christ. sure 
I was pretty sure that the floods were going to stop as soon as we got rid of Scott Morrison. Well, uh, this is the third, I think. This is. I, mean, the I, I, I watch the ABC and, and you know and, and and read the Fairfax Press, and I was absolutely certain that Scott Morrison was causing all those. Floods. Well, this is the third once every thousand year event, Jack. Just this year, yeah. once every thousand years. That's what some idiots basically call it. Around my part of the world, we're expecting barrel to be flooded uh, today. Roads closed. There are roads closed throughout New South Wales. Uh, the, uh, the, the the rivers that run around Sydney and into it uh, are all flooding. They're all, uh, all uh, um, basically at peak levels anyway. It's topped up with... Um, uh, the worst of the rain came between Sydney and Wollongong in that strip there that I'm a sort of part of in a way uh, where, well, Shell Harbour had, uh, had uh, I think it was 280 millimetres of rain in 24 hours. Uh, most of that can get out get out of the coastal areas. Um, but um, uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's sort of soul-destroying because I, I can't imagine what's going on in Lockyer Valley. I believe Queensland was spared what was uh, what was what was predicted to be pretty pretty rough conditions rain wise uh, over the weekend. But uh, I know it wasn't so bad in Queensland. Um, but really, from around Port Stephens all the way down to Batemans Bay in New South Wales, uh, coastal and inland there, it's just been it's just been steady rain. It hasn't been as heavy as the last two flooding events, but it's just been steady rain. Uh, here we've had uh, 180 millimetres, so we had 180 millimetres on Saturday. So the question is, when's it going to end? And well, it'll, it'll end when the weather pattern turns around, like it always does. Well, I was uh, listening to the uh, Bureau of Meteorology, uh, who was saying that La Nina, which is the cause for a very large, uh, to a very large degree of all of this, is starting to break down and will over the next month or two. And uh, that can only be a good thing. I mean, we did have probably about, oh, it was almost like the John Howard, 10 minutes of economic sunshine. We had about three weeks of, uh, of reasonably good weather in, in, uh, in and around Greater Sydney and outside of it. Uh, and now it's gone hell again. Uh, and you've got to worry about farmers who have planted another crop because certainly in the Lockyer Valley, which is one of the great food bowls of the country, they planted once, they got flooded, they planted again, they got flooded again. And that's the reason why uh, lettuce, uh, an iceberg lettuce, lettuce would cost you 10 bucks at 10 bucks uh, a head at the moment. Mm. It's contributing you know, in no small way to inflation in the country. Uh, and that will be the case now. And, and it's across the board. It's not just iceberg lettuce. I mean, a uh, head of broccoli, it costs you it's around about 10 bucks a kilo at the moment. Uh, all of this stuff is because uh, uh, the, some of the food bowl areas, particularly around Lockyer Valley, were absolutely smashed by floods. And now we've just got people being uh, being um, pulled out of their homes. Uh, we're on a sort of vague alert. I haven't even caught the text message, uh, uh, but we're on a sort of vague alert and, and told to uh, uh, keep an eye out for uh, for road flooding. Um, it, which will almost certainly be happening. I'm, I'm, I was going to go down a barrel uh, to, uh, later today and see how bad it is. But, um, uh, yes, uh, hopefully this will be the end of it, Jack. 
that La Nina is starting to break down, according to the Bureau of Meteorology. And that, that, so we know, it's a strengthening of trade winds easterly through the tropics. And because those easterly winds are stronger, it means more moisture is blowing from the Pacific towards Australia. So we get a lot of these coastal events. I can certainly remember as a young bloke working in uh, rural Victoria, there was a, a few winters in a row there where um, we got flooded every just about every year. You know, you got you got used to driving to work through the water. These things happen. Yeah, look, they do. Um, um, but it's uh, it's uh, it, it is ceased. It has ceased to be funny some time ago, Jack. Um, it, it is no longer amusing at all. And uh, really, really, really worry about people, particularly in low-lying areas uh, around the river systems, uh, people in places like Windsor, Campbelltown, uh, Menangle, uh, Jack, uh, where the trots are. They won't be having too many trots. They won't be having the harness racing for a little while here because that's about two metres underwater at the moment. Um, <clears throat> so, yes, uh, we're just hanging in there, Jack. Hmm. Keep your feet dry. Yeah, well, yes, it's not so easy. I have I have uh, pets who just keep looking at the doors and just going, it's fucking, it's still raining. <laughs> it's still raining. <laughs> just, they're, they're very depressed. They're very down. They came running out. One, one of the little cats just bolted outside. There was a, just a brief break in the rain, bolted around the place and then ran back inside and then looked out again. It was raining again. Mm. Yeah, so we uh, we uh, wish for the best for all Sydney siders uh, in the greater Sydney region and uh, and hope uh, that you do not have to go through the appalling business of having your houses flooded out. Um, I, can, I, I can remember when I was uh, um, uh, years ago, I was at school in Echuca and I, uh, <coughs> a, a mate had a little um, uh, Fox Terrier um, uh, and he got, had, had it since, since it was a pup. And uh, it was one of those... Not the La Nina um, uh, uh, patterns. It was the it was the dry patterns that had been hadn't rained for a couple of years. El Nino and El Nino, um, and when it finally started to rain, the poor little fella um, didn't know it. what to do because he, he he was used to being sprayed by the hose, and he knew that if you ran away from it, you got out of it. But when it was raining, there was nowhere to go. Yeah, he was very confused for a day. Droughts and flooding rains in this country, mate. Uh, there are very little, very little in between in in, re- in recent years. I mean, just crikey, what three years ago? Uh, this place was a pall of uh, of ash and smoke, and we're on mm. constant fire alert. So that's what it's like to live in Eastern Australia at the moment. Has anybody asked Tim Flannery for a comment? <laughs> well, Tim did predict that there would. <laughs> drought, just drought, no flooding rain uh, for a very long for a very long time. If again, not, if, not if even, ever, never again. Not, e- not even the rains that fall will fill the dams. Well, the dams uh, are more than full, Jack. Having a crack of open <laughs> just to just to top them from flooding. Mm. Um, so yes, uh, it, it, it's been extraordinary. I've, ne- I've never seen anything quite like it in terms of not just one event. I've been in floods before, and there were Melbourne had uh, some shocking floods, and Brisbane has uh, has had some a long history. Brisbane has them regularly, yeah. <laughs> Oh, they sort of, you know, they sort of got it solved, but not real. But here you've had one major event, then two, and then three. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's been pretty hard to take. We don't want to see any rain for a couple of months after this one. It's supposed to get it's clearing up on on Tuesday, and then rain again on Wednesday. 
what was the uh, the the telegram from the journalist uh, um, uh, in um, from Venice during World War Two? Water, water everywhere, and not a drop to drink. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't want to drink that. In the last floods, we saw Mitchell Robinson. This was the Brisbane Lions utility jack. Uh, he uh, he was having a swim around his backyard, and I said, "Mate, don't do that. That's open sewerage, you idiot." Yeah. You know, but he's got the bathers on. He thought it was terrific. But that's Mitch for you. Um, uh, and into media, Jack. Lee Sales retired. Uh, it was her last show on Thursday, and I think they did a special on the Friday in the ABC. And uh, I think it's... My, uh, first reaction, my first reaction was that the farewell show was just a little bit overindulgent, I've got to say. Oh, well, they're I'm, going I'm, to be, I'm, a, I'm a Lee Sales fan, but I thought that was a doubt. They're going to be a bit that way, aren't they? They're going to, they're, they're, they're going, there's going to be tributes plenty and not a dry eye in the house and all that sort of stuff. Now, Sales is retired, I can tell you, uh, uh, because I'm a, I'm a mate of hers. And she's retired because she wants to literally spend more time uh, with her family. You've got two young boys. And, and, and this is fair income this, this time. This is it's fair income, yeah. So it's not just... It's <laughs> this not is not the politician who's retiring to spend more time with his But she did... I mean, she just wants to spend uh, more time with her boys who, who are getting older now and uh, and uh, school age and and, and, uh, and and they miss their mum because uh, yeah. uh, hosting a show like that, you know, takes a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, but she was pilloried on Twitter and I used to watch it, and just used to really annoy me because there, there was this kind of, there were shrieks from the left. Most of them came from the left. That she was, that she'd given uh, Scott Morrison or a Liberal minister a soft run, and at the same time, you'd look at people from the right, and they would say that she was, you know, attacking that particular person, whether it was Scott Morrison or whoever it was, attacking that person unfairly. I mean, it's, you just can't win this. I used to follow her um, uh, her Twitter account, and I've got to say, almost all of this came from the left. Oh, most of it. Well, because that's because Twitter Twitter is a left-wing platform. Twitter is, Twitter is mainly I, I used to yes. watch. I used to watch it come from both sides on the same day, on the same interview, Jack, that she was was accused of being biased from the left, and we know that that sort of stood up a fair bit. Uh, that that was the you know uh, the, the 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 criticism du jour on Twitter. But you'd see it in the same in the same interview. She was accused by the right of being left bias, and then she was accused by the you know propensity of left people on Twitter of being right wing bias. I mean, she literally can't win. That's because. Particularly the left on Twitter um, thinks that uh, the media ought to be a barracking vehicle. That's Anybody absolutely right, like, and they think yeah, that yeah. they think that uh, an interview should at least involve on one on one, uh, one occasion at least where the interviewer leaps up from a chair and just goes the throat uh, of the interview subject. Um, that that that's the way an interview should be conducted. But I, I, I actually didn't ever see or perceive myself that there was bias in sales' question. Not once. And that's not because I'm a mate. I look at these things objectively. Um, but it is, I just didn't see it. And this is because bias is a very subjective thing. Bias is, you know, like beauty in only one respect. It's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. 
isn't it? No, that's what it is. Because if you look at this thing, it's a subjective process. It's a subjective criticism that says, I don't like that particular question. Now, I'll take one example. So, so Salzy was saying on election night, she had uh, Tanya Plimacek on the, on the panel, and she said to Tanya, what's gone wrong for Labor tonight? You know, she, she, the, the, the question might have been um, uh, prefaced with uh, uh, your votes down, um, uh, you, you may not form a majority government. In fact, on that evening, it wasn't looking all that great. Uh, and she said, so what went wrong for Labor? Labor obviously won the election and the coalition were belted, um, but at the same time, it was like, she was she was basically pilloried for um, for asking a question that quite rightly pointed out to Labor's very low primary vote. Yeah, what about um, a situation where uh, Kerry O'Brien says uh, we lost seats, uh, or when uh, Pat Cavalis uh, was talking about Western Australia saying, "Well, we're, go- we're going really well." Did she do that? Is that bias in the in the eye of the beholder? I, I, I didn't see. I know. I know Patricia quite well. Um, I haven't spoken with her for years, but but um, uh, did she actually do that? Oh yes, yeah. she was caught up on election night. She was, she was covering this from, covering the election from the ALP function, and I suspect she was caught up in the emotion oh, of the finally. She might have had a few wines, but mate. It pop, she could well have. Uh, one one thing I really enjoy about Twitter it is belled the cat on on the ABC. Uh, personalities because you can get on Twitter and spend an hour or so looking at their um, uh, individual Twitter accounts and you can see one of the problems with the ABC is that there's an astonishing um, consistency of views right across a range of topics. There's almost no um, diversity of views um, in their personal Twitter accounts. So yeah. that's, not, that's, that's not bias, that's just dullness. <laughs> yeah, it can be a bit dull. Which, which, but, is why, which is why The Insiders has become almost unwatchable, except when you're on it. Except when I'm on it, of course, yeah. that's right. Um, the, um, um, but in the case of Lee, I really didn't ever see it. I, I, and I don't think she actually showed it. Um, she was pilloried uh, again for having a lunch with Malcolm Turnbull. I think she got on pretty well with Malcolm, but there's nothing wrong with that. Um, People of opposing views quite often. This will be a surprise yeah. to some of the <laughs> some it? of the left left-wing and right-wing lunatics on Twitter. But sometimes people with opposing political views can get on quite well. Get on quite well, exactly. And I, but yeah. I I've, just I've, I've never if you asked me who Sarsie voted for, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Well, I wouldn't know. Unlike, him. Unlike, and I've never you, had that discussion with her, nor would I. Unlike you, I've never met Lee Sales, but I think she has been um, one of the best um, political uh, interviewers and journalists in the country for quite a long time. Um, and I'm sorry to see her uh, uh, leaving um, 7.30 report. I don't have quite as much confidence in Sarah Fergus. Um, but is Sarah I'll doing see, it or is it Laura? Why? I understand Sarah Ferguson's going to be heading the program, but I might be wrong. Okay. 
All right. I did not know that. Yeah. But anyway, we wish well. We wish Lee well in retirement. I believe yeah. there's some talk of her uh, taking on a sort of uh, interview-based program. I'm sure. Sure. Whatever she does next, she'll be excellent at. She's yeah, very yeah. talented. No, uh, but uh, good on her. She's. Uh, oh, she's one of our better interviewers going forward. I mean, if you wanted to watch a punch-up, you'd probably go Red Kerry. But but if you wanted a, a pretty objective analysis of what was. Uh, what was going on, or the, or the main subject of the of, of the interview? Um, then Lee was uh, as good as it got. And there's one thing we should all take away from this: Twitter bears no resemblance to real life. It probably does around an ABC audience. I think that's one thing I learnt from all of that. That <clears throat> we are talking about a lot of ABC viewers on Twitter, Jack. Yeah, well, well, well if, if 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 that's their audience, they've got a problem. <laughs> You'd be unable to satisfy them. That's the thing. You can't. Yeah. You simply won't be able to satisfy well, them. If, 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 if Twitter does reflect the ABC audience, then the ABC has a problem. They need more diversity in their audience. All right. Now, speaking of diversity, Jack, the Collingwood Football Club, well, they're not diverse at all, are they? They're, in fact, I think that's one of the problems with them. But they're in the eight and they're coming. And so are Richmond. Um and Richmond are probably a bigger threat to some of the sides uh, already in the eight, including my beloved Blues. But Collingwood now, they're pretty much there. You would think that they're going to make uh, the finals this year, which is an astonishing achievement, really, from the new coach. Uh, New administration, of course. uh, Eddie Maguire gone, um, but... uh, the former Brisbane player, what's his name? McRae. He's um, yeah. uh, he's done Flea McRae. They used to call him Flea. Yeah, uh, and he's basically done a, done a hell of a good job. And you can see a very calm visage there when he's coaching him. They look like they'll make the finals almost certainly. Why do people who don't barrack for Collingwood hate them so much, Jack? I know I do. Well, I think historically um, uh, they were the they were the big big club. They still are, I think. I think it might be in terms of membership, if you want to use that as a uh, <coughs> as as a guide. Uh, I think Richmond probably just edged them out in terms of uh, in numbers of members, but that's coming off uh, three flags in four years for Richmond. Um, and, and, but historically, you're going back to the Jack Rendays, aren't you, or John Rendays? Well, even, even when I was a young kid, um, uh, you know, Collingwood had 11,000 members and no one else had more than about four or five. Yeah. Um, you know, they, so they were double the size um, and therefore had a bit to spend. Not they ever spent much. Uh, had that dreadful ground at Victoria Park. Just um, awful. They certainly didn't spend much on facilities. No, <laughs> you, you, if, you're, if you're an opposition player, you would be having a cold chair at Big Park. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they were they were big and they were arrogant, um, uh, you know, which meant they got a lot of hell of a lot of support. Um, no one ever likes the big club. Um, you know, how, how many um, kids all around the world will support someone else rather than Manchester United? You know, and, uh, look, I grew up in their zone, and so we would have Collingwood footballers come to the school and do the development stuff, and, and, and you know, and, and obviously with that, every other kid in school either barred for Collingwood. Sometimes Fitzroy, you'd have a weirdo every now and then turn up, Barrick for Geelong, Alison Kilda or something like that. But 
there weren't that many Carlton supporters and we weren't that far away from Carlton, but yeah, Collingwood just sort of dominated. Uh, and I got to know some of their footballs later in life and we got to know the wonderful Dennis Banks and, and you realise, gee, I hated you when you were playing, but you're actually a really nice bloke. Uh, got to know quite a few of them, the Richardson brothers and, and so forth. And um, and Lee Adamson, of course, I played a lot of cricket with Lee Adamson who was a wonderful halfback at, at Collingwood for a very long time, played through the 60s and 70s. They had the stuffing kicked out of them, the arrogance kicked out of them uh, since, you know, from 58. They didn't win one till, crikey, when was it? 90. 1990, I can tell you the date. Yeah, 1990 it was too, yeah. When they the first the week in October, 1990. Didn't just beat the Bombers, mate. Game of flogging yeah. as well yeah. a quarter time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> most of them did. Yes, it's a really funny one. I still can't get out of that mode. I was watching them play... Um, uh, I was watching them play over the weekend, and I and I thought, oh, gee, they you know they they should have won that game, and they did. Um, but it was uh, for a moment there, I, I was I, I couldn't stop barracking for the opposition, and that's the way it goes. It doesn't really matter. So I was actually looking at it, thinking, oh, this doesn't impact my side too much. It doesn't really. I just want Collingwood beaten every time they they hit the ground. Yeah, I've kind of lost that a bit. I, I, I've got to say, I, I probably grew up with that, but I've lost it long since lost it. Yeah, it's a, it's a great shame uh, when you meet a few Collingwood footballers. They tend to tend to be pretty decent blokes. Um, uh, anyway, Jack uh, in Wimbledon's on at the at the moment, and uh, our uh, our great probably our highest seeded Australian in the event, and the curious is um, uh, causing a few problems. Um, well, he sort of is, isn't he? You know, he's sort of making a bit of a dick of himself, really. Janet Old Braxton reckons he needs to be basically banned from the sport. I think that's a bit much. Well, I'm not. I'm never a much much for one for banning people from things, um, and I, I certainly wouldn't support that. I think it's well, you're an supporter. I mean, I don't know, clubs should have been banned a few years ago for their supplements <laughs> program, but, but uh, you let them off. You well, I, as you know, I would have. Um, I, I, thought, <laughs> I, I thought the I, I think I they got the, up pretty lightly in the end. Um, I thought, <laughs> thought the inquiry was very, very, very poorly handled. Um, uh, the um, in all sorts of ways. Mm. Um, no, I don't think people should be banned from the sport. I think um, the officials in charge of the tournament um, need to uh, be strong where they. Where it's appropriate, I've got no different. I've got no problem at all with a a tournament a referee coming out and saying um, you're defaulting. Um, we're defaulting you out of this match. I, I've got no objection to that if the behaviour becomes too unruly. Um, it hasn't been that bad though, has it? I no, mean, it he was called no, a bully by, by by a bloke he beat in the first round or first or second round, I think, and um, he said that the bloke had a bit of evil. He got a, got an evil side to him. Ooh. Oh, well, uh, no. I, suppose, I suppose we all do. Is <laughs> the Look, look, it's a, it's 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 just a difficult thing with individual sports. Um, uh, you get a bloke who's got a ton of ability. I mean, what he is is an underachiever uh, in this sport. Really, he's what he's twenty six and hasn't really won anything much. Um, no, he's got, he, he's well, got, he hasn't he's, won. 
He hasn't won a Grand Slam tournament. Uh, no, and and hasn't looked like really really looked like winning a Grand Slam. I, I, I suppose he plays in the age where it's basically between three players um, who who win those Grand Slams because they're just that little bit better than everybody else. But he hasn't got to a final, you know. You know, so uh, enough, yeah. So so he's got he's got got plenty of ability. Well, uh, won the doubles, won the Australian Open doubles, but yeah. he's he's an underachiever um, uh, on any assessment. Um, this can happen in particularly individual sports. In team sports, a bloke like that normally gets sorted out by his teammates. Jordan um, Dugowie had yeah, a week off. Um, um, and, uh, uh, and they'll put up with a hell of a lot provided you're good, uh, but even then they're going to demand some things of you, um, and that doesn't happen in individual sports. Uh, particularly in tennis, well, um, in a, so in a sport that's flush with money, and and the players are walking around earning big heaps just you know for winning second round games and so forth. The idea of finding players is a bit silly. It's a waste of time. It's a bit silly. absolute absolute waste of time. And that's what Nick and he's not the only one, of course. That you know players misbehave, and and that is another part of that individual sport that there's this great sort of focus on them. So. Not just Nick, but any player in the ATP, they've got a small army of of yes people, biomechanics guys, fitness mm. people, dietitians, etc., and just one or two people just to come along and pat them on the back. Uh, and I think that alone can drive some pretty ordinary behaviour amongst people. Yeah, uh, you know whether it's uh, not just sport, whether it's. Uh, people, actors, and you know who, who work in movies, yeah. musicians, whatever. You get a One lot of yes politicians, Jack. I can yeah, think of politicians. Same thing. You get a lot of yes people around them, and that can that can encourage some very ordinary behaviour. Yeah, might explain might explain well, a little bit around the, one, about the most recent uh, federal election in this country too. One yeah. interesting thing is uh, Johnny Johnny McEnroe uh, said that if he was if he was going to coach anyone, this is a little while ago. If he was going to coach anyone on the tour, he wanted to coach Kyrgios because he thought he had um, uh, the most ability. That might be the solution. Someone like John John McEnroe coaching him might just well, of course we, we we said all those things about John McEnroe, or that those things were all said about John McEnroe in his heyday and. He was just a beautiful player, wasn't he? He used to get a little bit upset, and that was probably part of that whole business of just promotion of the individual above the collective, which tennis does. Um, but uh, hell of a good player and very good anal- analyst of the sport to this day. He did. But in the end, what he did was he made use of his talents. That's what Nick Kyrgios is not doing. But that's up to him. Yeah. Indeed. All right. Thank but you no, very much. Janet, Janet, you're wrong. He should. He, he shouldn't be. Um, Stop banning uh, people. God. No, what are you no, from? No. What are you from? The Greens, Janet. They're into banning people. Um, yes. <laughs> I want to ban this and ban that. Um, all right. Look, thank you very much, Jack, uh, for your time today uh, on Hard Hats and High Viz. And we just want to remind listeners, if uh, anything here has caught your fancy and you want to drop us a line. Uh, please do um, to uh, the conditional release program. It's got a the in front of it. The conditional release program at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at Jack the Insider. My DMs are always open and uh, we look forward to coming back uh, with you next week and giving you hard hats and high vis number 14. This is 13 done and dusted. See you, Jack. Cheers, mate. All the best. <laughs>